0: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Turn chuckle We have an amazing guest this week, the one and only Mad Maxine with an exclusive interview uh, in aid of her new book, The Chronicles of Mad Maxine, a one woman story of training to be a lady wrestler at the fabulous Muller School of Professional Wrestling. It will absolutely blow your mind. So before we get into the interview, here is an ex- uh, excerpt from the lady herself and then we'll be going straight into our interview with Mad Maxine.
1: Let her cut you, the fabulous Mula said. I tried to make out what she was saying, but the, drown, the fans drowned her out. She hanked me down to her level and growled. She's going to juice you. Finally, it registered. Mula wanted me to let my opponent, mangling maim, cut my forehead. It won't hurt, Mula yelled, grinding her lips against my left ear. It was after midnight at a gritty Brooklyn sports club, my second match of the day. My legs trembled, but fear and adrenaline kept me upright. I clenched the ropes and leaned hard against the turnbuckle. "'She knows what she's doing,' Moola said, glaring. "'Take the fall!' Floodlights blasted me from above as I stepped forward. Mula snorted impatiently and shoved me into the center of the ring, my neck snapping back. I regained my balance just as Mame, more man than woman, charged from her corner. I stared into her savage eyes, took in her square jaw and steroidal muscles." She slammed into me and shoved me into a tight headlock. I couldn't breathe. I slapped her hip to go easy. She squeezed harder. I slapped again, but still, no slack, no air. Thirty seconds, a minute, maybe more. My vision grayed at the corners. A wave of panic hit. I was blacking out. With the last of my wits, I leaned in and punched her crotch. My fist skidded across her red nylon bathing suit. Barely connecting, but it was enough. She loosened her grip and I escaped. I flew back to the turnbuckle. I gulped air and my eyes cleared. The roar in my ears quieted. She's hurting me, I told Moolah. She's not working. She's shooting. I coughed and whipped my head sideways to spit outside the ring. A bald man in the front row twitched his white loafers out of the way. She ain't shooting, Mula said. Get through this match and you're one of us. A real lady wrestler but you gotta let her juice you. A second bell clanged and Mula swung me out again. Before I could think, Mame had me in another headlock, tighter than before. I was winding up for another punch when a fingernail scratched my forehead right below my hairline. Something wet bubbled up and I realized that it hadn't been a fingernail. Mame had gouged me with a sliver of razor that she had taped to her index finger. I peered through a curtain of red A bloody Niagara Falls. I wiped at my eyes. I was almost blind. I touched the wound, three inches long and deep. Mame let go and jeered at the screaming crowd. I staggered to my corner, calling for Moolah. No answer. From ringside, an old boxer I'd chatted up before the match offered me a black bandana. I wiped my eyes and tied it Rambo-style around my forehead. I hadn't imagined this scene when I signed on to be trained by Moolah. This wasn't fake. This was survival. Moolah had told me to let Mame win, but damned if I would let that happen now. Heart pounding, I stomped to the center of the ring. Mame was going down.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Turn Chuckle on BBG Wrestling. I am Pablo, and with me is one of the most intimidating ladies in the entire world. She is Mad Maxine, Lady Maxine. She is Janine Mioset, and she has a new book out called The Chronicles of Mad Maxine. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I'm good right so as I usually say to guests I start with as good of an intro as possible and then we can just slide downhill from there with like terrible questions okay. and really bad journalism on my part but I, I would usually say that but since you are also a journalist I really have to up my game with uh with the questioning and uh try and impress you basically
1: okay I'm counting on it
0: but you are a friend and <laughs> <laughs> it means that we we can just be completely relaxed about this entire thing so um, yeah exactly so the Chronicles of Mad Maxine. Now, this is being, you've had described this as a novel and not an autobiography. So why is that?
1: Um, it's a novel because I could not make myself write a autobiography or a memoir. Um, what I found was that um, when I was writing it, I I, I was kind of in the mid eighties, uh, kayfabe was still a thing. People were still, um, really paying a lot of attention to making sure that people protected the business and didn't, um, didn't let on, you know, all the, all the secrets and, and how things worked and, uh, that just got under my skin. And so I like took that really seriously. And the other part was the other reason was because I became friends with the people that I was training with and I, didn't feel comfortable outing them or writing anything that would cast them in a bad light, so um, so it was easier for me to kind of try to capture the feeling of living in, on the in Camp Mula, uh, the property that um, the fabulous Mula owned in Columbia, South Carolina, um, but not uh, not really the you know absolute details. So a lot of this is made up. I would say most of it is made up. And, uh, you know, but there were some some there's some truth to it in that I did train with uh, Mula, um and I did cover a KKK rally for the black news. And those are the those are the main things
0: that are true. I mean, those are two pretty exceptional things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and um, you know, and if that doesn't hook you into buying the book, I, you know, um, you know, those two things definitely should, even if you're not a wrestling fan, uh, because I, I know a lot of people have. Even non-wrestling fans since um, a couple of years ago when WWE wanted to hold the Fabulous Moolah Memorial Battle Royal and then because, you know, it's one of those things where social media can be a good thing. Uh, everyone was like, you know, because people had known the stories and everything and people had, you know, made their voices heard and then it got changed to the Mae Young um, Battle Royal. So at that point, you know, did things kind of did the uh, the journey of what you were writing did that take a turn at that point or what were, were, were Not, these like stories that you always wanted to tell uh
1: i would say the latter i would say i was really surprised at how uh how strong the response was to um uh you know naming the um the the match uh as i i was very shocked that people People know about Nuala, and and it's not a big surprise. And sure, she has a lot of defenders, but there are a lot of people who who know the score. So, what I'm, you know, things that I'm saying in the book, you know, you know, they're fiction, but you know, the truth is out there already. So, uh, it didn't really change um, how I how I approached the book because I'd already kind of made a decision. Just you know, just I was more comfortable writing about it as fiction
0: and without sort of going too far into the book and i know you um you're going to read uh a small piece of the book later on which is which is great and everyone needs to check it out i'm going to push this book um as much as possible links will be below the show any links that you give me will be shared far and wide um so when um before the like things like the encyclopedia came out and uh, before the attention that was brought on to women's wrestling from the past because of the fabulous mullahs because of the battle royal and everything mm-hmm. um, were you kind of just was wrestling just a thing in the past that was you know not really even it didn't even come into your mind too much because it was so long ago by that point?
1: You know um, it, it, you're right, it is a long time ago it was it was three and a half decades ago so, A long time ago Um, but it's one of those things you know when you're in your 20s you can have these really big shocking experiences that touch you and kind of change the course of your life and I would say um, you know one of the things about uh, about training to be a wrestler and learning how to wrestle and and actually working as a wrestler um, it gave me a touchstone so that no matter how bad things were uh, in my life I could always say well it wasn't at least it wasn't as bad as when I worked for the fabulous <laughs> and, you know, it g- gave me strength, you know, it made me realize yeah. that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of aggression that, um, I encounter in the world, you know, uh, as a, as a tall woman and, uh, you know, just the kind of the, you know, the kind of reactions people have to women in general. Um, uh, it just gave me, you know, it made me realize that I'm not, I'm not a victim. I'm not a little lamb. I I can push back and I can stand up for myself and I can actually, if need be, not that I ever had to, I could actually punch somebody back and make yeah. it hurt.
0: Well, I mean the, the times that we have uh, met and everything, I, I I was kind of the first time that we met, I was really shocked by like some of the stories that you told me about because I, I I'd heard things, but, hearing it firsthand from someone who you know um, had to deal with working with her and everything was uh was quite a shock so I mean um, when something like the encyclopedia comes out and it's a picture of you with Muller, was that was it a bit a sweet thing because you know it's it's exposing mad Maxine to the world you know um, maybe for the first time in a long time and you know everyone will be looking at this crazy six foot four, you know, lady with a green mohawk who looks like nothing else in the encyclopedia. <laughs> um, and, you know, how was that? Like, did did you find yourself getting more attention um, having a Facebook profile? And stuff? Because the, the thing is, I'll be honest, when I, I posted a, a match that you had in one of your WWF matches and I can't remember why I posted it, but you replied to it and we weren't friends at that point. And I was just like, ah, Okay um this is great (laughs) and then sort of um you know luckily you had enough patience to put up with a lot of my stupid fan questions and uh you know (laughs) and we've shared a few drinks since then so yeah how was it like a crazy thing did a lot of people sort of get in touch after that after the encyclopedia you know
1: i i'm uh i wrestled for a total of two years and so i actually was really you know pleased that i hadn't had not been forgotten um, I, I don't have any animosity uh, toward um, Mula or any anybody really. I mean, it's a part of my a part of my life. I mean, it was uh, you know it was a color the, probably the most colorful part. And so I don't have any any regrets about it. I don't feel like oh I wish I'd stayed in another five or ten years. I do have a tremendous amount of admiration for the women who. Uh, who did stay in there and wrestled for decades i mean that is it's not easy work you you know it seems like a lot of glamour uh you know glamour but it's you know you're putting your your well-being on the line every time you jump into the ring you just you know you don't really know what's going to happen i mean you have a, a general idea but you know things can go awry very easily and uh you know I will say that, you know, I've written this book and I did train and wrestle, but uh, it's really the the women who stuck with it year after year uh, who I, my hat is off to.
0: I'm going to try and word this in the best way possible. Like You you obviously had a backup plan. Um, I mean, did wrestling kind of just, because it, it kind of sort of came out of nowhere, it seems, in your life. So did you always want to be a journalist before then? and wrestling just kind of happened
1: you know I um I had uh I I got a journalism degree from the University of South Florida in Tampa and I um worked in a retirement community newspaper where I interviewed these old people who were super accomplished and I thought I haven't done anything I need to go out there and figure something out and one of my heroes was uh, George Plimpton, who would, uh, you know, he played with a professional baseball team. He played professional football. He played, he worked as a, you know, a pro golfer, and then he would write about it. And so that's what I originally wanted to do. But when I got into it, I realized that I, I hadn't really thought it through because I, I was not, you know, I hadn't been, you know upfront about it. And I couldn't be because I, I was pretty sure I'd be kicked out if I had been. And then what happened is I, you know, I became friends with, uh, with, uh, the trainees and I just couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, it was out of, out of the blue because I, the other things that I was considering doing, um, I had a bunch of friends who were in the Renaissance Festival circuit and I thought oh, that might be interesting. And then I had a friend who, um, had gone to, uh, Chad Africa and as a water engineer and that was at a time when Libya was being invade uh, was invading Chad and I thought you know this would be uh, an interesting project but I didn't want to get killed so and my French wasn't super strong so um, this was kind of like you know the kind of like the perfect thing for me because it was it was really challenging but I didn't think it would get me killed.
0: Yeah, and well, I ask that because, you know, a lot of your contemporaries at the time in women's wrestling, um, do you feel that they were more? This was it in terms of a career. It was this, or I don't know what I'm going to do, sort of thing. So they felt that they kind of had to stay under the the under the thumb of Muller. Really,
1: You know, I think, uh, I think that uh, for, for, I would say, most of them, this was a career. This was, you know, something that they'd always wanted to do. They felt really passionate about it. There was nothing better than getting into the ring. And I think, uh, you know, to some degree, uh, you know, finding a job that would pay as much as that, it was, it, you know, was, would have been more difficult for them. So this was, you know, they were committed to, you know, to this life and lifestyle. Because it's, it's not only, you know, the risk of being injured in the ring, but you're traveling, you know, mostly by car. I mean, this was when there were still territories and you'd travel however many hours to the next town and wrestle the next, you know, afternoon or evening and then get up and do it again and again and again. And you just, you know, it was, uh, you know, road life, you know, bad food, uh, you know, shitty hotels, cheap hotels, Um, you know, it was, it was, and then you're away from friends and family. So, uh, you know, it was not an easy life, I would say.
0: When, when will I mean, you know, the, the general sort of um, credit, whether good or bad you know is given to the fabulous muller in terms of you know she trained people but really the stories that i've heard is that she would have someone like donna Christiantello train Correct. people so right. that is that what would happen she just happened to own the school and but she would not yeah. really get in the ring
1: uh you know that was true until um, you were getting ready for your first match my experience was that um you know, Donna, who, uh, you know, really was a hardcore wrestler, had been in it for decades. Um, mm. She was the one who trained us. And uh, and then she would bring in Donna would bring in some of the um, veterans, you know, to help her out and kind of show us, you know, show us some of the more complicated moves. Um, and then Mula would weigh in, um, you know, later in the training when she, when we were actually preparing for a match and. You know, having her there when you when you climbed, climbed into the ring for the very first time, it you know, I was absolutely terrified. But um, people kept telling me, well, don't worry, because Mula will be there and she'll be looking out for you.
0: So um, which was probably not true.
1: You know, I think in the ring she was there for me. Um, it, It was just kind of before and after when, you know, she her whole thing was making money and. And she found a lot of different ways to do that, and uh, and you know most of them did not benefit the women wrestlers who worked for her.
0: No, um, so uh, right after uh, uh, when you were training under Mueller, is it just acknowledged that you're going to go to New York? Since she was, you know, I know that women like when lady wrestlers toured the country, um, largely in groups at that point, because they they were i guess an attraction on the card um right. but when mula was able to get wrestling um the ban on women's wrestling lifted in new york was it kind of just acknowledged at that point that you were going to be going to new york and the wwf at that point
1: you know um you you know the the kind of the experience of living in in uh, on this compound with a bunch of other lady wrestlers you really didn't know until kind of almost the last minute that um you know when you were going to be going up to Stan you know to poughkeepsie actually is where the the taping happened um or to stanford if you had a meeting with the you know the corporate people um it was you know you're kind of you were kind of um held on on Tinterhooks You you didn't know what was going to happen. The information was like, you know, held really closely. There wasn't any expectation at all. Like there was one woman who had been there for a year and still had, had not had her first match when I was there, and uh, you know, she was not in Moolah's favor for whatever reason. So it wasn't a it wasn't a done deal that if you trained with Moolah that you were going to go up there. Not at all.
0: Wow, like. Were there any because you will have stood out so much compared to everyone else? Were there any like promises made by Mula at that point that you were going to be a huge star or anything like that?
1: No, and you know uh, the thing is is that I did the I, I got myself uh, uh, got got a mohawk and kind of developed my costume and my persona and and even my name um without consulting Mula and that was a, a big no no because her you know what she called her girls. Um, they were all, you know, pretty and thin and, uh, had long hair that, you know, was good for grabbing and pulling and stuff like that. And she was not super happy about me getting a Mohawk. Um, but I figured she'd see it and she would get off the dime and, you know, want to book me. Cause by then I'd been there six months and I really was like, okay, I've been wrestling. I've been training four hours a day, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. And it's time to, you know, do something with this. I didn't, I really just didn't want to, you know, have this go on forever. And I just, you know, it was a gamble, um, but it paid off because she saw me and, uh, and she said, yep, this is, this is going to work. And it was, by the way, it was at the same time that, um, that Cindy Lauper and Lou Albano, you know, and Wendy Richter yeah. were all, they were all doing that. And they were, uh, there was, you know, Mula talked to me about the possibility of, you know, being her secret weapon against Wendy Richter. But of course that didn't happen because before then, before that happened, I was, uh, I, I left, um, Camp Mula.
0: Oh, I mean, I, I'm, I love that time and I'm so fascinated I know, by me it. Me too. <laughs> so at the time were you I guess I mean Moolah was the champion up there you know for, forever um, right. so were you aware of this whole rock and wrestling thing because you came in to WWF right after WrestleMania 1 um, so were you aware of the sort of cultural phenomenon that was happening and was w- was WWF actually your first territory?
1: It was my first territory and I was aware of what was going on but you know, I was, uh, I didn't know anything different. It was like, I just assumed that uh, re- women wrestling was always this, um, you know, uh, right. popular. I, I just, you know, I didn't have anything to compare it to because I actually had not, you know, I'm an army brat and I was raised all over the world. And I, I, you know, we didn't watch wrestling growing up. And so I didn't really know that this was unusual, but it was, it was a pretty phenomenal time.
0: So... W- Um, you have two TV matches in WWF. Um, Vince McMahon does commentary on one of them. And there are some clips of one of the matches that that even showed up on one of the the home videos. uh, Biggest, baddest, strongest. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not.
1: I haven't. Oh, that's
0: nice to know. (laughs) Jesse, Jesse Ventura talks about you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. um,
1: I I assume that's the one with uh, Desiree Peterson,
0: not Susan Starr. I think it might be. I think it. Desiree was the first match, wasn't it? Second match. Oh, that was the second match. Um, yeah. You certainly had you had the sunglasses and the fur coat and everything. Yeah. Um, so was I, she I, is I, much I, smaller
1: than me? Because Susan Susan Star was a uh, you know uh, fairly small compared to me.
0: Oh, I, I would have to watch it back. I would have to okay. watch it back. So um, the so at that time you go you go up to um you go up to New York, who does Moolah introduce you to Is there? Is it any of the agents or do you go up to Vince or, um, actually, and, and, um, and who, who generally was there like Andre or Hogan or et cetera?
1: You know, um, first, uh, stop was in Stamford, Connecticut at the corporate headquarters. And I had a meeting with Mula and Gorilla Monsoon. And, uh, he, um, uh, wanted me to sign this contract and, Uh, You know, would have been you know I would have been signed with WWF, and um, you know my sister is a lawyer, and I knew you know knew that you don't sign a contract without getting somebody to review it. You know, you can sign your life away and. And she was really, really pushing me hard on it, but I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'll get it back to you as soon as I can. I just, uh, just need somebody to look at it. Just trying not to make a big deal out of it. Um, they were not too happy about that. And, mm-hmm. um, and then from there, we drove up to Poughkeepsie for the uh, matches. And of course, that's where they did all their, all their television. So everybody was there. Um, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan was there, Wendy Richter was there. It was, I'm trying to remember who else, but it was like, you know, you're kind of behind the curtains waiting for your match to be called. And so it was all, 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 a lot of the big wrestlers from 1985 were, were behind the curtains. And, you know, they were, all, they were all reasonably friendly and gave me these very soft handshakes, which was a surprise to me. I, I thought... Surely if you're shaking hands with a wrestler, they would really give you a bone-crunching handshake. But nope, <laughs> they give you these very soft handshakes so that you don't get hurt before the match.
0: Mm. Well, I love that you brought up Gorilla. I'm such a big fan of Gorilla Monty. Um Did he sort of like, how was he? Did he catch you off guard because of like the size and everything? Or, you know, because he seemed, everything that I've heard about him, he just seems like the friendliest person ever.
1: You know, my impression, you know, he, he was sitting down, um, so I didn't really get a sense of his size. He um, at that point, um, I guess it had been years and years since uh, he actually was in the ring. Um, he he seemed perfectly friendly. I didn't you know, but he really talked to Moolah. I mean, it was clearly I was like, you know, kind of like there. For to sign a piece of paper, but, uh, Moolah was, was in charge. He and and Moolah had, you know, were the ones interacting. I didn't form a, 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 a big impression on him, to be honest.
0: It seems like at that time, even though WWF is exploding, it's still a relatively, you know, close knit company when you have someone like Gorilla Monsoon still in that role at that point. Um, because I didn't know that he did the thing like meeting the talent and, doing the contract signings and stuff like that. And, and I mean, uh, a contract, you know, I, I don't know too much, but a contract in 1985 for someone just coming in sounds unheard of in WWF. Like, did it feel different or did you, did muller sort of like have, I'm guessing she was behind the contract and maybe saw long-term plans in you.
1: Uh, I think, you know, I, after the fact, I did kind of hear that, um, She had, uh, they had been discussing, including me in a cartoon, kind of a a wrestling cartoon. And, um, and as I said earlier, um, the, there was discussion about me wrestling Wendy, which, you know, Wendy actually knew what she was doing. And I was like, you know, brand new and had only been wrestling six, you know, training for six months. I mean, it would have been, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> going up <laughs> against somebody that, you know, that accomplished and experienced would have been terrifying to me.
0: Maybe, but at the same time, they put Mr. T in the ring at the main event of WrestleMania and he had absolutely no experience whatsoever.
1: <laughs> All right. Just name recognition. I guess that, you know, that was the whole thing is like having a, having a, you know, multicolored Mohawk and being so tall and having this kind of hardcore persona I, i'm sure that's what it was all about it certainly it, wasn't my re- wasn't my wrestling skill i had i had you know i, I was trained um but uh you know wrestling is hard <laughs> and you know, all that flying around uh-huh. you know taking the flying mares and the soaring suplexes and the flying head scissors and it's just you know man you end up really you know mincemeat at the end of a at the end of training and certainly at the end of a match
0: from watching, you know, those those couple of matches and you know, from knowing that eventually uh, Moolah in the Spider gimmick would win the women's title because of, you know, politics and everything. Right. It seems like either way they would have gotten the belt off Wendy and it, it seems like you would have become the women's champion at that point, possibly for a lengthy reign um, because you were in there with you know, really talented um, lady wrestlers, but you were killing them, you know, very decisively. Um, so it seems like that would have been the plan to go forward. I mean, was... you know, That would how... have been
1: nice. I would love to have had that <laughs> damn belt.
0: <laughs> and, you know, it, it would have made sense because, you know, Muller, from what I know, I haven't seen, like, every bit of TV from that time, but, like, you know, there were several sort of... Um, of Muller's charges that would try to take the belt from Wendy, but then you were like, you you were mad, Maxine. You looked as you did, you know, six foot four with the mohawk. And it was, is that legit six foot four? Actually, it's six two. Ooh, <laughs> but I guess if you count so the nice. um, okay. <laughs> if
1: you count if you count the mohawk, then it's six four. But if it's, you're just counting the top of my head, then it's six
0: two. <laughs> did you have lifts in the boots? You probably didn't need them.
1: Uh, I wore um, Harley Davidson mo- motorcycle boots. So, oh you did? Yeah, what were yeah. they
0: like wrestling? Like did very you very
1: comfortable, yourself? surprisingly oh. comfortable. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you get the um the hard soles removed and you replace them with soft soles so you don't, you know, kick the shit out of the other wrestlers.
0: <laughs> so I'm guessing because you had this like this character ready to go, were they impressed with that? And did they try and sort of claim ownership of it?
1: Um, you know, they, they didn't then and, and, you know, never have, I mean, I never signed anything with them. So, and as I said, you know, I developed the persona, I I came up with the name, I mean, I told her that, you know, I I, I was really worried that she was going to give me some terrible name that I'd have to live with, you know, like, like, there was a, there was a wrestler a long time ago called Bald Lady Angel. She was bald, and she was very, very big and tough looking very hardcore I was just really afraid that if I didn't come up with my own look and my own name that uh, you know I was gonna be saddled with something horrible so <laughs> so uh, I you know and and the way I found um, found the character I wanted to do I was um, I was dating a guy who was really into comic books and he had an x-men comic and back then the um, character storm, as African-American um, with a white flowing mohawk and she wore kind of biker gear. And I just thought that was so cool. And so that was, that was what I modeled it on.
0: It's so of its time in the best possible way and cool and sort of, you know, very pop culture and everything, you know, it, it would have fit into WWF at that time, you know, Saturday night's main event, etc. So perfectly. Um, And, you know, the proof of that, again, is because of the cartoon. Now, for a long time, I remember seeing an image of, you know, the ensemble cast of the cartoon. And there was... (laughs) Please don't take this in a bad way. But I thought that the cartoon version of you was a dude. Um, Oh, is that
1: right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't want want to get beat up by you. Um, (laughs) But there was just, like, this tall character kind of stood there. And I was just like, ah, like... He isn't, in, he isn't in the cartoon. Um, I've never seen him before. And then when ww.com, yes, later did the, uh, a retrospective of the cartoon, because um, a couple of episodes went on the network. They've since been taken down, maybe for copyright reasons or whatever. Um, they showed the Mad Maxine character uh, as like a, a, a prototype drawing, and then they showed the car uh, the or the motorbike. And uh, we found out that your name was Mad Maxine Ryder. Like, was that like, a, was that like a, um, a a piece of news to you? When, when that it was
1: definitely, definitely a piece of news to me. And I was like, hey, wait a minute! To you, you, you did not get my permission. But I guess since they changed the name just a little bit, um, that was enough to make it okay. And you know, I'm not particularly litigious, so I wasn't going to do anything about it.
0: I wonder who they would have got to do your voice because they were all voice actors good question
1: I mean she would have you know she would have had some growly scary voice I'm Kathleen sure. Turner Kathleen uh, Turner. oh yeah she's got kind of a sexy list doesn't she <laughs>
0: <laughs> see there you go and then obviously then you got replaced with Muller but at that point you know they obviously had plans for you because there was merchandise there was uh, the stickers um, that came out which shows that there were plans to use the pictures that were taken with you Um of which you pointed out that none of them were by yourself. Muller had to get in on every shot that you was taking of you in WWF. Um, but the um, the the stickers uh, that came out like those were really cool to find. Like years later for me, because I mean I I was able to get one signed by you, which was very nice of you. Um, <laughs> were they kind of a shock? Like did they come out after you had moved from WWF at that point?
1: Oh yes, I mean my my stint with uh, WWF. Um, was was short and uh, short-lived and by then I was I'm sure down in Florida wrestling for uh, championship wrestling from Florida uh, run by the Wahoo McDaniel was the booker at that point and that was a Graham territory.
0: Mike Graham. That was your first um, territory after WWF straight to Florida like what what um, that seems like a bit of a, a jump from uh, New York to Florida. What uh, was the thinking behind the move? Did you know people down there?
1: Yeah, you know, I had uh, I had li- been living in Tampa before I moved up to uh, Columbia. And in fact, um, a friend of mine was dating one of the wrestlers and it was through his mom uh, that I, you know, found out about Mula. So I was basically going home. But um, uh, Angel Vachon, who later became Luna, uh, mm. and um, Peggy uh, well, Peggy Lee Leather is one of her, her ring names. Uh, she, and, uh, the three of us went down there. We had a fourth, but she never ended up coming down with us. We ended up moving into a condo that, um, Angel's, uh, family owned, uh, near Miami. And, uh, we tried to kind of, you know, we, we were working out at, at gyms uh you know gold's gym which is the you know the wrestling gym um and then you know eventually we just could not get a toehold uh being based out of miami so um i moved back to tampa and like within a week i had made uh i had gone you know i somebody said go to gold's gym and i made contact with uh rip rogers and, and he's you know he really was careful about how much he talked to me because uh You know, we ended up, uh, you know, wrestling each other. And um, so he 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 introduced me to Wahoo, who uh, became became my partner uh, against uh, Rip and his wife. So I was I guess I was uh, Wahoo's uh, valet for a time.
0: So were there noticeable differences between the way WWF was run and uh, the Florida Territory was run? You like know, I the, think
1: that's an interesting question. I, I really feel like, you know, I, I just felt more comfortable in Florida. I mean, you know, you go, uh, obviously, from... The better weather. Yeah,
0: much better weather,
1: <laughs> especially since we moved down there in, you know, it was February. So, yeah, I was much happier there. Um, it was, um, it's much more laid back. I mean, people put, took everything seriously, but I had a, a big, uh, I was a huge fan of Gordon Soley. Uh, and he was the announcer down there. And, uh, uh so that was for me a, a really big treat. And, um, you know, it was just, it was more fluid. I feel like it was more uh, organic, like when they were working out kind of the storylines and, you know, what would happen next. I, I, you know, they were, they, it, it really was more kind of, uh, kind of a natural discussion and, uh, And kind of more laid back. I just felt more comfortable down there. Of course, it was, you know, like I say, it was my my old home. So uh, I and I was also really cool to, you know, wrestle in matches where people I knew who who I'd gone to school with or worked with, you know, could come and see me wrestle. That was really a treat
0: when you would since you had spent more time in Florida compared to New York, um, (laughs) you you know, had time to be able to get involved in storylines and things like that. So when you were training under Moolah, did, did you learn how to talk under her? Or was that something that was in you already?
1: No, we never, we never, you mean like
0: the promos? Yeah, the promos, because obviously you did a lot more of that in Florida, so.
1: Yeah, no, I, that was, I, 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 that was all, I all learned all of that in, uh, by watching, um, well, for, for my money, the best talker would be, uh, Percy, uh, Percy Pringle. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, phenomenal mouth. And, uh, and, uh, so, you know, just watching, uh, really the, you know, the Wyndham's were really big watching, you know, black Jack Mulligan and all of them just, you know, doing their promos, you know, I, I don't have that, you know, it takes years of, uh, of, of kind of doing promos to develop that growl. Cause I, you know, it's really, you know, you know, trying to talk like this, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I, I did the best I could, but I, I don't think I was ever brilliant, particularly brilliant at it. Um, there was one promo that I did where I had, like, I was, uh, I was going to be wrestling. I, it was, I think I must've been wrestling Percy. It was wrestling a man, either Rip Rogers or Percy. Uh-huh. And I brought with me. A, 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 I unpeeled a banana on, uh, you know, on on TV, and then squished the banana in my hand, and like they thought that was a little over the top. You know, it was like what I was what I was pretending like I would do to wh- whoever I was wrestling. Uh
0: huh. Were there <laughs> were there were there phallic uh, connotations in that? Or?
1: I think you could possibly read that
0: into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, it seemed like you could get away with a lot more in Florida. I mean, it when. I find myself going down sort of championship wrestling from Florida rabbit holes on YouTube and I need to get like just DVDs of the stuff just so I can gorge on it because the um, the Kevin Sullivan Army of Darkness and all that kind of stuff just it seemed to have turned Florida on its head at yeah. that point um, yeah. So were you kind of amongst everything else you were doing were you were you a part of the Army of Darkness?
1: you know, that was an outgrowth of, um, they, okay. So, um, I, I moved back to, uh, Tampa and Angel and Peggy are still in Miami. And eventually, um, you know, I, I, I talked to Wahoo and I said, you know, we've got, we've got some real talent down there. Can we, can we work them in? And he figured out a way to do that. So, um, Angel came up and her, uh, you know, she was, uh, acting as a, a reporter and then (laughs) she gets, yeah, (laughs) where she, she gets kind of roughed up pretty quickly. And, and then eventually, you know uh, she gets recruited into the army of darkness and, and then Peggy of course came up and then she, you know, she did the deal with, uh, with, with, she was, you know, on Percy's side, she was, you know, Percy's sister uh, supposedly. And, uh, and so all three of us were able to to get up there and, and we just had a, huge amount of fun and uh we we even uh, rented a house together for a period of time but had to be of course very careful not to let anybody see us because you know at that time you didn't you know you didn't let on that you know hey you're actually friends
0: mm, no absolutely well i mean it, just watching everything that i've seen from florida it does look like you're having a ball like yeah. it just it, it's so wild um and someone like percy pringle who was like just one of the most dynamic personalities that there's ever been in wrestling. Like He can I do agree. seriousness, but the, it's seriousness with an element of camp behind it. Absolutely. Or, you know, or he can do and comedy. A and, and a rubber face. And a rubber face, which yeah. is always good. And and just the visual of yourself and Percy Pringle just fighting each other. <laughs> it just seems like were they presented as serious or would they presented as you know, not full out comedy, but just you know, it, when the manager gets his come up, and it's always there's always going to be a bit of, I guess, ha ha in there.
1: Yes, I mean, you know, um, we did have uh, where one match in Orlando where um, I was actually wrestling Percy and had to body slam him, and and I, he was <laughs> not a small guy. I mean, he must have been, I think he must have been two fifty, two eighty, or something. But even with him working with me, man, that was. It was a struggle to get him up and down, um, but uh, you know, I, because he had such a wonderful, strong personality and just the ability to just, you know, just make make you laugh. Um, I, you know, I, I I think you know it was it was all done pretty much tongue in cheek. I mean, I was I was like the straight man; and he was the you know the one <laughs> running circles around me.
0: And the thing is, as well, a lot of people don't know that Percy did wrestle early on uh, under a mask. Um, and I think that may have been very early on in the Florida territory. Now, you know, don't write me letters if that is wrong, but um, he definitely did have matches. So he did learn how to, you know, work as a wrestler in the ring. So sure. he could take bumps and everything. And I think people right. kind of forget that because he wasn't the most physical manager in the world, because it's kind of, why would you need Paul Bearer sticking up for the undertaker? <laughs> you know, cause he's, you know, the undertaker is like, you know, seven foot tall and is built like he is sort of thing right um, and
1: then the other thing is uh even even before he got into the wrestling world um he, i read that he had been a mortician so it's yes. kind of ironic that he was uh you know the undertaker's uh you know valet or or manager and uh you know having been a mortician in real life <laughs>
0: and also uh, best friends of michael hayes so like did the Freebirds? did you ever see the Freebirds when you were
1: Oh, certainly. We were on um, <laughs> n- any number of cards together.
0: Did your liver survive? I guess it did. Like, what's that? Did your liver survive? Uh, just knowing oh. the three words, like.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I was actually I was pretty, I was careful on the road. I didn't, I didn't really. I, I tried to keep it together. Um, you know, both in terms of, you know, I, I really, did not did I was not a party animal I mean in real life I I was kind of one but I I really felt like I was the only one looking out for me so I needed to keep my act together so I was I was not saintly but I was definitely a girl scout
0: <laughs> I think just knowing the free birds and not descending into that lifestyle speaks volumes for you um, you know cuz I oh, imagine that Oh yeah well, just not by... only
1: them, but everyone else too. I mean, uh, you know the the alcohol, but you know also like lots of drugs, and so yeah, mm. I just I just really I I just you know tried to steer clear. I was still trying to keep it together.
0: Without mentioning names, was it was all of that offered to you?
1: Um, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I won't name names, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was definitely part of the culture of course, Florida in the mid eighties was, you know, cocaine culture, you know, it was everywhere. And, uh, you know, and you get, you know, you get jacked up before a match, after a match. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, you have a lot of, you have people with a, a lot of ready cash. I mean, the, certainly the, uh, the men were making a lot better money than the women as always. Um, so,
0: uh, yeah. Did, did you feel that there was a, you know, cause, um, you know, gender pay inequality is something that has, you know, been a, quite rightly a hot topic. Was it, was it an issue then, or was it just not even a thing that was brought up? I mean, if you wanted to wrestle, you, you
1: kind of, didn't bring it up because, you know, it was, uh, cause there was another, you know, another person who could easily take your place. Um, you know, like my best weeks, I made like a thousand bucks and, uh, I thought that was really good. And then, you know, then I, uh, went to like for the match with Percy it was the house was ginormous and mm-hmm. my payday was like maybe two hundred dollars I mean it was that you know they were they were I will tell you that in at least in that match I know they were there to see me and Percy because it was just had been like it had blown up and uh and to, to get two hundred dollars from that many people it was just like god um but you know I just I wasn't there uh, to form unions or, you know, try to right wrongs. I was just there to get the experience.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, uh, Florida was your first time because Poughkeepsie and um, your know, WWF matches were there. Were there only the two WWF matches, or were there more that weren't yep, no,
1: just two, just two.
0: Okay. And they were in re- in front of relatively small, smaller audiences. So was Florida your first in front of like thousands sort of thing? Yes, and was that like yeah. a bit of a like um, white knuckle moment, I guess?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, my knees were shaking and I hyperventilated. And when you're really that scared, you know, when you go into the ring and you're so terrified, you know, you know, with this that thousands of people yelling and. Um, and, you know your brain just goes offline so it was just amazing it's a it's a credit to the women I was wrestling that I was able to kind of get through a match but it, it really it, it took a, a quite a long time for me to feel comfortable and to actually enjoy it because that's the thing it's like the women the the you know the women veterans um, they they dig being in the ring they love all that crowd noise and you know they the heels love the you know draw heat Baby faces love that you know the the love that they get from the crowds i mean it it took a while to go from really just feeling like i was going to be consumed to to enjoying myself and i i eventually did
0: hmm. did you did you have music or was this the I first did. time
1: you had music yeah i did i had uh uh it was miami vice the theme to miami vice was like, <laughs> nice
0: <laughs> right really 80s super 80s I love it that is great um, so with um, on a, a standard episode of um, championship wrestling from Florida was this the first time that you would say be on more than one segment in the show and was it um, did did you learn more about like sort of production timing and all that kind of thing and uh, did you have to keep an eye on the the producer counting you down for a promo all that kind of thing
1: you know um we we didn't do promo after promo. What uh, the way it worked was they had a, um, a ring with an, a TV audience, and right next to it was where Gordon Solie sat and did his uh, did his interviews. And so really, it would be before or after your match. You would you would do uh, the promos. You know, it was it wasn't like you know one after and after after another. It was kind of like while you were still kind of jacked up from all the adrenaline
0: from is isn't, uh, that, isn't that the best way to do it though because like that was the you'd hear endless stories about you'd be in a hotel room in new york and you would do every single market because it was being broadcast everywhere so you'd have to go i'm gonna beat you in new york i'm gonna beat you in la and try you know by the end of it you're ready for some hard liquor at that point um <laughs> so like you know but you know so i, I like the the sort of uh in the moment feel then of um of florida um who did you have directing you at that point was was dusty there at that point
1: no dusty was not there i I was sorry about that because uh i really i really uh thought he was a a wonderful wrestler and really entertaining um no it was uh was I you know it was uh, the camera guys just doing a countdown. It was really not a not a big production um, to kind of get to, you
0: know, to do the promos. So oh, if you, well, if you really sorry, go ahead. Oh no no sorry, I shouldn't interrupt. Um, but what I was just going to say, like I'm guessing there is a good chance that the cameraman and everything may have just worked for the studio. They may not have worked specifically for the the wrestling company. Because I mean, and that was always the rumor, the the reason, from what I heard, why they did stuff in studios because it was minimal cost production because the studio is there and you just have to get a ring in and um you know there would be a, a easy camera setup and all that kind of thing.
1: That makes sense. Where they just you know, you know they 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 turn the camera to the ring, they turn the camera to the um, to the desk where you do the promos. So yeah, that makes sense to me.
0: And at that point as well, since I'm guessing you're in the same building every week, um, did you feel yourself grow as a performer? Because there's a chance that you're performing in front of the same 50 to 100 people in that studio. So you have to do something new.
1: You know, I didn't really honestly pay attention to the the fans, except for maybe the noise that they generated. It was really... um, you know when I was uh, you know when I was a baby face, when we were at the Sportatorium, then I got to know some of the fans. but when it when we were shooting TV, it was all about TV. So um I really didn't pay too much of attention, um, you know, just trying trying to to do what we needed to do. But yeah, the sportatorium, it was really cool. Um, Getting to know, like especially kids, you know, they'd come up and, you know, want want you to sign sign a magazine or with my picture in it, or you know, sometimes I sold pictures, um, kind of like merch. But um, that was really nice, you know, to be able to tell a kid, you know, you know
0: something encouraging, you know, like be brave or do well in school. <laughs> I think you yeah. wrote something similar on my um, autograph in the. Is that right. In the encyclopedia, it was like a really sort of, you know, uh, eat your vegetables, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Would you? Yeah,
1: you know, like, and and I hope you are eating your vegetables, damn it.
0: <laughs> yeah, again, I don't want, uh, I don't want my vaccine uh, <laughs> coming at me. I'm
1: going to, I'm going to fly over to England and I'm going to come get you. <laughs>
0: um, I was going to say, you're going to force those vegetables in me, but that's another phallic uh, reference that will not, uh, will not I'm go anywhere. Broccoli. Not yeah, OK. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so you wrestled in the Sportatorium. So what, did you wrestle for world class under the Von Erichs?
1: No, no, I didn't. I never wrestled uh, 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 out there. Um, I was trying to remember the name of the territory. I did wrestle in uh, Texas, uh, Houston and but oh, it so was,
0: not, it was not the Von Erichs yes yeah paul sorry. bosch so i mean because so, i knew you were in continental in tennessee under uh, ron fuller and then uh, the uwf um later on so where does um where does paul bosch fit into that as a timeline uh it was after florida uh beautiful <laughs> <Yeah>. linear easy <laughs> yeah okay easy so um what what um, why the move at that point? Um, was it? I mean, the thing is, back then, I think it, it just probably... had run
1: its course. You know, hmm. the this kind of the storyline, and and you know, uh, that was just kind of like it was. It was time to move on, and and that was fine with me. I, I it was kind of exciting to you know wrestle in um, in New Orleans and all all the kind of bunch of cities in Mississippi and Alabama. You know, really kind of like the kind more going Western and it also meant that I could go see my mom and dad who lived in a suburb of Dallas and that was really fun I remember one time um, I showed up uh, right around my birthday and I I had uh, I was I brought a, a wrestler with me you know we were traveling together and he had this very long fu- Manchu and I don't know my parents were not very thrilled about this you know about me doing this but when I brought when I brought the giant wrestler with the Fu Manchu they were like oh this is cool <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is good so um with um with houston then like who was like who made the recommendation and I'm um, again i i obviously don't know quite enough but i'm surprised that paul bosch ran the sportatorium because i would have thought that would have been fritz's
1: no 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 what uh Sportatorium in tampa is what i'm talking about is uh, there is there another one
0: yeah no see there's a one in uh, dallas um oh okay yeah, the uh, for the Von Erichs, that was kind of like their home. Yeah, no, I yeah. never, I
1: never got to wrestle there. No, unfortunately, I uh, there was a, a kind of, I guess, a not an overlap, but there were other territories that worked in camp. I mean, sorry, uh, in Texas. Um, so, like, I had a my I, my last two shots. Um, uh, the first one was in Houston, and they gave me this dressing room that you know, usually I would have a dressing room very close to the guys and, um, or with the guys sometimes. And, uh, uh, you know, so my stuff was protected. I mean, and then this time they didn't, they put me in a room that didn't have any lock. And, um, I basically got all my stuff ripped off, including like, oh. a, you know, the journal that I'd been keeping for the whole time I'd been doing it and it, just a whole bunch of stuff. But I had, um, I had remembered. I always kept my money, uh, the payoff for the for the match in my boot, and any other money that I had. Um, starting with the very first match that um, I, I had with Mula, because she gave me, you know, the payoff and 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 told me to stuff it in my boot. So I just made that a habit, and it was and thank God I did because you know otherwise that would have been gone too. So anyway, so I I come back. Everything's been stolen. The next day I have a. A match in the Astrodome in New Orleans and I have to spend the day walking to, I have to come up with a, a new costume because my, all my costumes were, were taken and, uh, you know, the ones that I, were, I was going to use. So I ended up going to a thrift store and getting, um, a sequined majorette outfit and then duct taping that on my body. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was just the last, the last match was with Dark Journey, and she potated me pretty hard, and it was just like that was it for me. That you know, it was just like the, it was just like. Plus, my, um, I had a wardrobe malfunction, most humiliating right. thing in my life, and uh, my my top fell down, and it was like, you know, I had I had built my outfit so that that would never happen, and if I hadn't been ripped off, that would never have happened. So, anyway, so malfunction, getting shot pretty hard, getting a pretty good uh, pop from dark journey. And it was like, okay, that's it. I'm out of here.
0: <laughs> and, and that was like in UWF at that point. So that was your last territory. That
1: was, yep. yep, I got the hell out, drove, uh, drove the wrong way on a bridge in New Orleans and then <laughs> had, to, had to turn around and go back to Baton Rouge and then just move back to Washington
0: DC where my sister lived. Now I've, I've heard stories about those Louisiana crowds that they, I mean, even in the mid to late 80s, they believed wrestling was real and they would carry knives and, you know, the, there were some of the most violent fans. Like, did you experience any of that? Were there any riots in uh, Louisiana?
1: You know, never had any riots. And, well, you know, after the um, the Houston thing, I was pretty upset and I got razzed by a um, by a group of fans and I was in no mental state to you know, to just kind of walk away. And I just kind of like went after him and, and thank goodness there was a referee, Bruce Tharp, who was there and he kind of calmed me down. And, and, uh, so I, you know, I never noticed that they were particularly, um, I never heard of anybody getting knifed or hurt, but, uh, you know, they probably threw their cokes at the heels, maybe a, a little bit more than the, than the rest of them.
0: Oh, I, I, I'm hoping. Well, I mean, by the time it became UWF, and I mean, the story behind that was, I mean, Bill Watts was super competitive with uh, WWF, so he didn't want the World Wrestling Federation. He wanted the Universal Wrestling Federation, you know, make it bigger, sort of thing. Um, so maybe by that point, like, did did you feel that there was a um a jump in presentation in terms of like TV production at that point? Because I think he really Try to make a go of the UWF and then it just fell by the wayside for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. I wasn't aware that, that that was what go, what was going on, but the houses were big. I mean, he did, um, he did build, uh, build the territory. And so, you know, just evidenced by the last, last two matches, you know, they were, they were both really big arenas and really big, you know, uh, big crowds. So it's, it's too bad. Uh, I really think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, things became homogenized once um, uh, WWF became WWE. I mean, it's just really, I think it's, I think it's uh, kind of the diversity that you would have when you had many different territories and people competing against each other. I think that, that went by the wayside. Now, you know, I think certainly WWE has great production values and they, you know, they, they sink a lot of money into it, but I just, you know, I, I'm glad I got to witness the, the territory, you know, be part of the territories and and uh, take advantage of that.
0: Absolutely. And there's not enough. I mean, obviously, the you know, back then, to save money, they would tape over shows just to use the tapes again. Um, so not enough of that footage still exists. Is that um, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they just, you know, they a lot of territories just wanted to save money that way and um i guess what whatever, whatever territories and tapes still exist have been bought up by wwe and uh right. they've been really stingy with not putting enough of it on the network because i think they underestimate how much old wrestling and an old wrestling fan watches <laughs> you know what i mean they're like oh we've put 10 hours of this up and it's like yeah i've watched that in like a day <laughs> you right. Know? right um which I mean, maybe I should get out more. <laughs> but at the same no, time, no, I no. know what you
1: mean. Though I, I was just watching. Um, I was looking at uh, a video of Mildred Burke uh, from the '40s wrestle, and it was just, it was super cool to to watch kind of what what went on back, you know, way back then. And uh, and then, more then I, you know, moved forward to, and she was super strong, and you know, she was, you know, she. She did not sell. She <laughs> very much at all. She was just very strong, and and uh, you know their matches were they had good matches. Same thing in the 50s, and then you know, I think uh, you know it was it, it really I don't know. I, I kind of feel like there there was a lot of good wrestling between then and uh, and when I wrestled, and and then I feel like it kind of maybe got a little bit you know became a lot the same. You know they just became kind of one thing, especially yeah. among the women
0: do you was there any temptation? I mean, I know you got injured and everything, and obviously that's a big, a big reason for anyone to um, to leave wrestling. But seeing how much WWF had blown up at that point and WCW was about to blow up as well, because I mean there was still the NWA at that point, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no temptation to stay on and kind of see where the next couple of years could have went. Because I mean, you know, we, being so unique and not yet have had made a splash in WWF to the point where you, you should have, you would have still been a fresh face sort of thing. And you would have, I I think you would have made a huge mark.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that I, I was not tempted. I, I, you know, I, I, well, I didn't want to go in and do it for just a, a very, very short period of time. I did it for, you know, for a couple of years and that was enough for me. I just, you know, Uh, it it wears you down and, you know, there are like these physical insults and then kind of, kind of personal insults. And, you know, at a certain point, you just have to say, you know, I mean, I I really wanted to be tough enough to, to be, be a a lady wrestler. I I think you have to be remarkably tough. Um, And I didn't want to be one of those, you know, just like dip my toe in it. But um, at a certain point, I just like, Man, I am not that tough. I am not tough enough to stay in it for ten years or five years even. It was just, you know, it was it was more than I could uh, could make myself do. So, and you know, I wanted to get back to um, journalism. So, so after that, I moved up to Boston and took a job with um, a black newspaper up there, the Bay State Banner, and did that for a while. And then went back to D.C. and you know, went on and on.
0: Does the fact that, you know, you, you moved around a lot of territories in a, a short amount of time, relatively, um, so you don't become attached to like a certain place, I guess. So does that help with a, a career in journalism where you would probably have to travel everywhere?
1: Yeah. Uh... You know I I am like I said I am an army brat and so traveling around was was fine um yeah, there were certainly um lots of times when I I felt lonely on the road and you know really untethered to my you know to my family and friends and um you know because there weren't tons of of women wrestlers i mean you know there might be one other in you know who who would be the person that i'd be wrestling with but i wasn't we weren't we weren't really encouraged to hang out together because then like i say that was in the you know kayfabe era where you know you really you didn't let let the fans know that you were actually you know usually friends um i i I don't know
0: around that time um when you you know, decided to leave. It wasn't long after that that uh, things like GLOW, uh, you know, began and then right. a little bit later on the LPWA and stuff like that. So, I mean, were you um, were you just out of it at that point? You weren't watching, you weren't taking any notice of anything? Because I mean, a lot of the ladies at that time had really strong opinions, negative opinions on GLOW.
1: Uh, you know, I was, I have to say at the time I was one of them because I thought it was pretty cheesy and, um, you know, Uh, But then I kind of retroactively, now that you know this this show about Glow has uh, you know a TV show, Mm. I mean it's actually really campy, good fun. But uh, and you know I think the you know they did learn how to wrestle, but I you know I I think there was a distinction. I think the women who were trained with uh, Donna slash Mula, they were like real wrestlers, and uh, and they were not there just you know. There's certainly sex appeal you know, that's part of the whole, you know, production and, the, you know, the matches, but that was not, you were not up there just to, you know, uh, flash your tits and ass. I mean, it was, you know, you, you didn't really wear skimpy, um, outfits. You weren't trying to look like, uh, you know, uh, a hoochie mama. I mean, you were, you were, um, You know, you're serious, serious wrestlers, and wanted wanted to command the respect that the the men did, and you know, you had to you had to work hard to do that. I
0: I do agree, Um, but there are some amazing photoshoots of you in some slightly more (laughs) revealing outfits,
1: like bubble bath. Are you talking
0: about? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, um, that's that would probably be for a different audience than me, to be fair. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, no, there there I've seen. was it a picture of uh, the sheep herders just covered in blood, and you're in that picture as well? And um, uh, yeah, with Jack Victory. Good <laughs> lot, yeah. There's some wild. Picture. There's a bush. There's a bushwhacker's uh, slash sheepherders uh, biography as well coming out soon as well. Which oh, I think is that right? Absolutely wild. Um, yeah. Um, so I mean, did the amount of gore with like a team like the sheep like, was that just something that even like you weren't used to at that point we just like what the hell i like... had
1: yeah i had not <laughs> been with uh i had not worked with uh, many wrestlers who who juiced as much as they did and you know at the time i was like yeah fine do what you want don't ask me to do it because i'm not i'm definitely not doing it but uh although there was a point when i thought oh maybe i would but anyway i, I never did um i i was i was like you know the gore kind of grossed me out but it was like okay well that's just part of it
0: Mm. so when um because obviously i don't know how long you have been on social media i'm guessing like a a long time before we even uh, came into contact and stuff like that were you surprised that a lot of your contemporaries at the time like leilani kai judy martin um were on facebook and you could contact them and did, yeah you... i thought
1: that was super cool to be able to connect with uh and and princess victoria she's yeah uh, and then of course um uh, did you see the vice piece about uh uh that uh vicky and wendy yes. and a number of others yeah that was it was really nice that that they got the i mean they certainly deserve the attention for the, the work that they did in the past. And I'm, I'm glad they had a chance to tell their stories.
0: They, they really do, especially since WWE owns a lot of their footage and aren't giving lady wrestlers from that time um, the, the attention that they deserve, especially since they revolutionized a lot of stuff, especially in the 80s with the Cindy Lauper thing. It wasn't just Cindy Lauper and Wendy Richter. It was everyone at that time. Um, You know, it was having great opponents like Leilani Kai and Judy Martin and uh, Velvet Velvet
1: McIntyre. Yeah.
0: I've tried to to get an interview out of Velvet and uh, she's the most no nonsense. She will tell you what she thinks very shortly and uh, sharply. You know, know, this seems I think they
1: all they're all quite outspoken. I mean, you know, that's the thing about being a, a lady wrestler. You don't have to take any cuff.
0: You can just speak your mind. This is absolutely true. Take so through,
1: take it or leave it.
0: Yes, and i''ve I'm, I'm, I'm been incredibly grateful that you have made time for me, you know, uh, when I you know you've visited Edinburgh because um you have family over here, and um you know it's been amazing to get to meet you and get to know you a little bit. and, um, yeah, and I, you know I think it helps that you know I'm also a musician as as is your your fella. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a slight connection there, which is really cool. So how did, how did you meet him? Um, I'm hoping it's like some wild story.
1: <laughs> I met him at a, uh, at a poker game. I, 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 joke <laughs> that, uh, he's what I won at the poker game.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I've never seen like, like a more in sync couple. Like it's, it's certainly on social media. Oh, thanks obviously. for
1: saying that. And, and it's especially true during this pandemic. You really know, You know, that you are you are meant for each other if you can get along, you know, being together 24 seven.
0: Yeah. How's everything? uh, How are you coping during all of this?
1: You know, I'm exercising a ton and, uh, you know, just use this time to, uh, you know, to get really super healthy and uh, to finish up the book, of course. And, uh, you know, to focus on what's really important. You know, I uh, I I think it's, you know, it's I'm I'm lucky in, in that I, you know, I I retired a year ago and, uh, and haven't had to worry about losing my job. Um, like a lot of people have, but, um, and I'm in, I'm in a really pretty, uh, part of Florida near the ocean. And, uh, um, you know, this is, uh, it's, there aren't a ton of people. We don't, you know, we're really careful, you know, when we're around people, but, uh, you know, there hasn't been, there have not been very many cases down in my particular corner of the world. So, but again, we're still being super careful just because nobody wants to
0: get sick. Yeah. No, tell me about it. And like, you're obviously a very creative person as well, because like this, again, isn't as a, a straight autobiography, but it makes no bones, I guess, about trying to pretend that it is but it's like based on mad maxine's life i guess and yeah it's
1: it's a novel you know i made a lot of stuff up for sure um the but the you know the feeling of living living with a on on a compound with a lot of wrestlers that for me is true and Mm. and some of the bones like you know like you know training four hours a day that that's a true that's a true thing um covering the Klan rally for the black news. That's, that was a true thing. So bits and pieces are true, but overall, I would, I would definitely say it's a piece of fiction. But at
0: at this time, I mean, there are uh, authors like John Crowver and Kenny Casanova who are um, creating wrestling comic books as well. And they go way out there. I mean, there's a tag team called demolition and there's a comic book called demolition in space where they fight like, you know, alien robots and stuff like that. (laughs) It's just awesome. some some wild um, imaginative stuff out there, which Uh is, you know, I feel like check it out. Oh, you definitely should. And I feel like this is going to fit in beautifully with that. Um, So currently, um, so when is, when is the the book due out? Because this, this show, I know this is going to sound crazy to anyone listening. This show will go out in about a week's time from uh, today's date. So uh, that is the 27th of june ish
1: um the book is available now um as an ebook so like if you have a kindle or something like that um or apple books um i can i can send you the links um i'm still waiting for it to be posted on amazon and uh and uh you know i still have to figure out how to get a physical book um printed and available but uh, that's the next step
0: I can't wait for a physical, um, because I'd imagine you have some pretty wild photographs as well that a lot of us maybe haven't seen from that you know, time. I
1: don't have, I have not included photographs since as a, it's a novel and it's not, mm. you know, autobiographical, but I am going to be, uh, adding, I'm going to be, you know, creating social media pages, uh, whether it's Instagram or I'm not sure probably where, where I'll put them exactly, but, um, yeah. And, you know, because, um. i I have permission to use the cover photo which was taken by david odette but I, i you know a lot of the photos you know don't actually belong to me so uh even though it's my picture um a photo of me i can't i you know have to be careful and and uh give credit where credit is due
0: i understand i understand so um and you know i know a lot of people so many people are fans of that era as well and um there are so many groups on social media who will be totally into this. Um, So, you know, and a a reflection of that, you know, you did, was that your first fan convention that you did a little while back?
1: Yes. um, I did that, did one uh, near Tampa. And I, I have to say I was really, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It was really, you know, it was fun to talk to people who remembered me from, from way back when and uh, you know, and just kind of clowning around. It was, it was actually really enjoyable. So.
0: And, and I'll do you, more did, of those. You, you did uh, sort of Mad Maxine up a little.
1: I did. I did. I, <laughs> I created a, a a fake mohawk although frankly i'm not averse to you know re you know reinvigorating the mohawk i i I think i might i have to do that if i do any more if i do any more fan events
0: and and just lockdown i think you should experiment with oh yeah absolutely (laughs) no one ever has to see it that's the thing (laughs) exactly but um oh well look um thank you for doing this because um you know, I, I I feel in a slightly privileged position because we do know each other. And, um, you know, I, I like to think it's because you know that I will ask you good questions, hopefully.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're um, the first person I called,
0: Pablo. Ooh, see? <laughs> see? Um, so, yeah, um, the, uh, the Chronicles of Mad Maxine, available at all the links below the show. We will be pushing it on every show that we do going forward. And, um. Yeah, it's uh, you know we we keep in touch anyway, but it's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to chat because we haven't talked for a little while since you were last in Edinburgh. And th- are you bringing the show to Edinburgh?
1: You know, I would like to um to to create a one-woman show based on on the book. I think that would be a real really fun thing to do. But of course, the Fringe Festival was cancelled this year, so it'll probably be for next year.
0: Uh, I I will be there. And the thing is that are uh, generally wrestling shows. There as well with, like, Col Cabana does his uh, audience with. And, I mean, there was a gorgeous George um, stage play, Uh uh, which I I didn't get a chance to see, but I'd imagine that was just a wonderful thing to watch for the costumes, if nothing else. Um, So, yeah, no, uh, I think that would be an amazing thing. And uh, selfishly, if it means that you get to come over and we get to have a drink, then that is good. Absolutely, absolutely. Because there are some wonderful pubs in Edinburgh. and uh, Truly. I feel very lucky to live quite near it as well. So, um, but yes, uh, Chronicles of Mad Maxine available at all the links below. I want to thank you again, uh, Janine. Um, you're a wonderful. You can call person. me Max. <laughs> <I'll> call <you laughs> Max. Should I call you Lady Maxine? Which do you prefer? I'm guessing Lady Maxine.
1: Lately, I've been more mad than than ladylike.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. Do different the different sides of you come out? Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you know, I do have a Facebook page where you can ask, ask advice from either Mad Maxine or Lady Maxine. And if you're asking uh, for advice from Mad Maxine, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get some kick-ass advice. But Lady Maxine is a little more polite.
0: <laughs> yes. And a link for that. I did actually, I, I love that that you did that. Um, have you been doing that recently during lockdown? There's you lots know, of marital problems going on. I, I sure
1: wish I, if I got some more questions, I certainly would uh, be answering them. I just haven't recently had any any questions, so maybe you could uh, send me one.
0: Everyone is getting along. That's the thing. That's it.
1: That's we it.
0: Need a, we need to kick up a stink and, um, you know, make people want to throttle each other a little bit and then uh, they can ask Mad Maxine for advice. Yes, exactly. Yes. Anyway, right, because I will drag this on forever if I don't actually stop. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. thank you again. And uh, we will talk again soon. And I want to thank everyone uh, listening to this week's episode of Turn Chuckle. Check us out on BBGWrestling.com. Uh, we have a massive... Uh, back catalogue of uh, wonderful guests, everyone from uh, Sid Vicious to Kevin Sullivan to Austin Idol uh, to Paul London, you know, everyone A to Z, you know, from all the different decades and uh, this has been one of the more fun interviews and uh, I'm extremely grateful, so thank you again and we will talk again soon.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure, thanks a lot.